Hey, good morning, uh, Midtown Creve Hall. Um, I hope uh, most of us are headed to the ball field here shortly. Uh, I think we've avoided the rain out. It's uh, coming later today, and uh, it's a communion Sunday, so I hope you're headed to the ball field. But if not, um, I'm going to spend some time in the Word this morning. We've been in the book of Philippians over the past few weeks, and it's a book I've said this, that it's a book that's all about the way to having a sturdy joy in the middle of difficult circumstances, not in spite of them. It's a book about how to still have joy, a resilient joy when things are really hard. And Paul is writing this in a, in a really difficult time, in a hard time for him. It's a, he's in a, a kind of a vocational detour uh, from his missionary journeys, and he's in prison now against his will. So things are going in a way that Paul didn't think they would or maybe that he wanted. And yet he's displaying and writing about this resilient joy that he has and he wants this young church to have because he knows that soon they're gonna be facing similar unwelcomed trials. So this is Philippians 2, verses one to four. God's word. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Lord's word. All right, two things um, that I think this passage really gets at. Uh, The first is the reality that robs us of our joy, and then the second is the remedy that restores us to joy, okay? So the reality that robs our joy and then the remedy that restores it. First thing, the reality that robs our joy. Paul says something in verse three uh, that is really critical for us to understand about ourselves. And Paul, he understands it because he understands human nature and he understands this about himself. And it's this, that all of us, every single day, we all every moment are doing what we do from one place or another. I'll reread verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. We do our lives from one place or another. I know we'd love to believe uh, that we're more nuanced than that, right? Uh, But I think Paul is actually saying that. We do it from either this place of selfish ambition and vain conceit or, and he says they're rather, in humility. We do what we do from a place of pride or a place of self or you could say the ego or the flesh or from this place of humility or from the spirit, which is a mark or a fruit of having something bigger than yourself in your life, some focus beyond you. And if you're, if you're following what I'm saying, you should, you should see and understand that why this is so tricky because we live in a world 
right? That says that the focus on self is the key or the pathway to joy. Focusing on you is the pathway to joy, not the thief of joy. Not the thing that robs us of joy. Paul is saying here that, that pride, it promises joy, but it under-delivers under eventually. But humility, right, actually delivers us from pride into a new joy, which looks like a new relationship with other people. It delivers us from competition with other people into this oneness that he's talking about here, into communion with other people, from a competition or a pride-based joy to a communion-based joy, which is oneness with the Lord and oneness with one another. So let's talk about, let's talk about pride for a second. The reality that robs us of our joy, right? He sums up pride here in, in two words. He talks about selfish ambition or vain conceit. And what, what do those two words paint a picture of? Well, ambition is a word that sparks the notion of competition. I mean, it'd be hard to be ambitious, really, without anybody to compete against, right? It sparks the notion of competition or comparison. That actual Greek word in the New Testament, it was a word that was used at the time for, like, partisan political power-seeking, right? It was a word that they used for people who created political parties and factions, right? Pursuing their own good and their own gain. I mean, think about uh, a good image would be the Peaky Blinders uh, series, right? People fighting against one another for power. Selfishly ambitious people want to ascend and want to achieve, but not for the good of other people, right? For the good of themselves or, or at best the good of those just like them. And ambition in and of itself isn't a bad thing, the desire to achieve. But this type of ambition tramples underfoot others in order to get where you're going. It's an ambition that tears down or actually uses relationships and that sees those relationships as a means to an end. People are just objects to get me where I'm going, right? They're just role players in the story of me. It's like the kid on the soccer field who never passes the ball and tries to dribble through all 11 people. It's like all of you actually have to be on the field for the game to be official or to count, but really everything that's happening out here is about me. It reminded me of when I watched The Last Dance um, documentary about the Chicago Bulls and their six championships and really about Michael Jordan. And Michael uh, was not the easiest person to play with. A lot of his fellow players talked about that. But Michael famously says in that documentary, yeah, there, there is no I in team, but there is an I in win. It's, the, it's, the, it's a penultimate definition of selfish ambition, right? What about vain conceit? Or the word there is actually vain glory, because vainglory is a little, it's a little less uh, visible and kind of external. You can kind of, it's easy to point out selfish ambition in people or in yourself. But vainglory is a little more internal. And it's that part of me that really believes deep down um, 
that I'm better than everyone else or at least I'm better than most or someone, right? Vainglory, it's kind of that sentence where you say, I may not be so-and-so, but at least I'm not this person, right? Vainglory is that internal hunger for my own self-glory. And it's still a competition, uh, but it's different than selfish ambition because that competition is all going on internally. Really, I'm the only one playing the game, right? And so I can, if I'm the only one playing the game, I'm not just playing the game, but I'm also the ref of the game. I can set the rules and I can adjust, I can judge along the way so that up here, I always win. Up here, I always maintain the upper hand. Selfish ambition is, is a little more easy to identify, but vain conceit's a little tougher, a little more sneaky. And it's, it's primarily sneaky because you can actually be doing a lot of things like Paul's talking about, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. You can actually be doing a lot of good things on the surface for other people. You can actually look interested in other people but the primary motivation for why you're doing what you're doing, right, is to feel better about you. It's to be better than in your own mind than those you serve. It can all be done, everything good externally can all be done in vain. It's pride hiding out as humility. C.S. Lewis wrote about it in Screwtape, he says it like this, it's pride in one's own humility. I'm proud about how humble I am. I'm proud about how I serve other people, right? Which is really just serving me. It's more acting interested in others than truly being interested like he's talking about in others. And it can just be a way to feed your own vanity, your own conceit, but privately in your heart, nobody else knows it's going on except for the Lord. I could say a lot more about these two, selfish ambition or vain conceit. But Paul is saying we, we either operate out of that place or out of humility. And Paul is saying about those two, selfish ambition and vain conceit, that both of those expressions of pride can be the place that we do our lives from. And there's a problem with that. Remember I said that we're, we're talking about having joy in the middle of difficult times. We're talking about how these things rob us of joy. The problem is this is that if, if I'm operating out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, then my joy or my peace is always in this fragile place because it's based on competition. It's based on comparison. It's like what Theodore Roosevelt said when he said, comparison is the thief of joy. My joy is found in how I'm stacking up to other people either externally or internally, right? And I'm trying to get encouragement or I'm trying to get comfort, I'm trying to get joy, I'm trying to get peace, not by what we all share in, like he's talking about here, this common sharing in the spirit. I'm not getting my joy from what we share in, I'm getting my joy from what I compare in. And when we live like this, right, Joy is always fleeting. It's always elusive. It's had and then it's lost. It's like trying to keep water in your hands, right? 
C.S. Lewis wrote about it in Mere Christianity about pride and joy. He says this, pride is essentially competitive. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something. So there's no joy in having it, right? Only out of having more of it than the next man. So I only get joy if I have more of it than the next person. (laughs) We say that people are proud of being rich or clever, of good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than other people. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. You hear it? My joy is about being above the rest. That's where I get my joy. He says, once the element of competition is gone, the pride is gone. And what he's saying is is that once the pride is gone and because pride was the source of my joy, being above the rest, once the pride is gone, my joy is gone, right? I either have to then go find someone else to compete with, right? Someone else who I can kind of ascend to this, this new level. I level up, right? Find some new people to compete with. Or I have to stop and ask the question, is it possible that there's a completely different way to do my life? There's a completely different place to actually find my joy. Not in pride, but somewhere else. So if pride is what robs us, right? That's the reality that robs us of our joy. What's the remedy? What's the remedy to have my joy stop being robbed all the time? What's the remedy that's gonna restore me to real joy? Well, the joy that Paul has, and he is writing and fighting for the Philippian church to actually step into, it isn't a pride-based or self-based joy in, in having something more than everyone else, right? It's not a, like I like to joke about it, it's not an insta-joy, right? It's a humility-based joy found in what we all share as believers, right? If any common sharing in the spirit, right? Well, what do we share? What we share is our need. What we share is our weakness. What we share is our brokenness. That's why we need encouragement. That's why we need comfort. That's why we need tenderness and compassion. We share in sin, right? We share in this problem of pride, right? And we share uh, in the fact that that need was met in what Christ did. It's met in Christ. And he's saying there's a joy that now can be had in our union with Christ. Joy in Christ's goodness. Joy in Christ's beauty. Joy in Christ's grace, in his tenderness, in his compassion. Because we've been given all of that in him. All of us have. And how did he give it to us? How did he give us what he gave us? Not in pride, but in humility. That's the place. Humility is the place Jesus does what he does out of. Jesus, the only one who actually had every right to act proud, right? Didn't. He acted humble. 
Jesus isn't selfishly ambitious and vain. He's self-emptying and humble. He's a glory sharer, not a glory hoarder. And he's, he's made it possible and he's calling, and Paul's calling the church to a different place to operate out of. Don't do things out of selfish ambition or vacancy. Do things in humility, right? Which humility, it's not, it's not an attitude, right? It's a fruit. It's not just like I'm choosing to be humble. Humility is the fruit of being in him. That's why he says in humility. In humility is in Christ. And humility is not thinking less of yourself, right? Like some people think that about humility. Humility means I just have this kind of very low view of myself, which is really a description for shame. And shame is pride's cloak. So if you have a low view of you, you're still struggling with deflated pride. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less. The Lord doesn't think less of you. He doesn't have a low view of you. He would have never died for you if he had a low view of you. You have value to him. Humility is thinking about myself less. I'm self-forgetful now because I don't have to be thinking about me all the time because he's thinking about me. And he sets me free to think about him and to think about other people. Paul's saying there's a joy that's only available, that's only sturdy because of humility. And we have it in Christ because in Christ we have a new heart. We have a new spirit. We have a new place now in him to do things from. And when we're living in that, it looks like what he says there, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, right? It's this oneness. We're connected to him and now we're connected to one another in a completely different way. Jesus makes it possible for me to leave a life of just living in my own prideful self-interest to a life now where I can be interested in what the Lord desires for me and for us and through us. We're actually now set free to live into not just acting interested in other people, being interested in others. Not just looking only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. We actually in him can begin to live in those two great commandments that he summed up when he says, we can now love the Lord with our heart and with our soul and with our mind and we can actually love our neighbor as ourself, not love our neighbor after ourself, right? Paul's saying to the Philippians, the reality is, is that that pride, that selfish ambition and that vain conceit, it will rob you of the joy that you're looking for. But we are those who have a new place to do things out of. Not in order to get joy, but because we have joy in him. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, Lord, so much of my life um, can be lived out of that place of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Um, thank you uh, that you are profoundly committed um, to our deepest needs and our deepest joy. And that um, 
you, you came in humility um, in order to set us free from that prison of self. So Lord, I pray uh, that you would examine our hearts um, like you say in this passage, if, if you have any encouragement. Um, Lord, it's, it's possible for me to live uh, many days uh, having all this, this truth and this power and this, this resource in you, but live like I don't have any of it. And so Lord, um, convict us of the places where we're still living in selfish ambition, our vain conceit. Uh, would you show us the futility of that? Uh, would you show us uh, the ways that, even though the world is saying that's the path to the joy that you want, would you, would you show us how foolish that is? And draw us to yourself, Lord. Uh, be encouraging to us, be comforting to us. Uh, be tender with us and compassionate with us and would you restore us to the joy of our salvation in you? that we might be a community um, that really truly does now live as those who are free uh, from the crippling pride uh, that is so common uh, to man and now walking in the spirit that allows us uh, to put others' interests uh, above our own. We love you. In your name, amen.